You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Pastor Jennifer Waterman Moore. In addition to leading Purpose Church in Jersey City alongside her husband, David, Pastor Jen is an author, the small business director for Jersey City Economic Development Corporation, and CEO of In Purpose On Purpose, an organization with a mission to help people discover their true passions. Pastor Jen was raised serving in the church, shepherded by her parents, and like many PKs, had her own period of rebellion. But she eventually felt her own call to ministry, which involved leaving her parents' church behind. It took a while to make the leap, but she eventually stepped out on faith. And Pastor Jen has been doing ministry her way ever since. She's deeply committed to not only empowering her members spiritually, but also playing an active role in their economic advancement and dream realization. And as you'll soon learn, she's never afraid to put her humanity on display. So here's her story. Please enjoy. Pastor Jen, welcome to the December 26er podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Excited that we finally got this on the books. I feel like this is going to be a great conversation because we all know that pastors come with that word. So there's not going to be any need to kind of draw it and pull it out of you like we have with some other guests. So I'm excited. <laughs> Very good. Awesome. So we've acknowledged um, before we, we got on air here that we're doing this from home. You're a mommy. So we don't know what might pop up in the background. I've got a partying today, but this is the nature of pandemic and quarantining and keeping the show going. So we're just going to roll with it and see what happens for sure. Okay, let's go. All right, let's get into it. Who is Pastor Jennifer Waterman Moore? Wow, that is such a heavy question, right? <laughs> Who am I? I am a entrepreneur. I'm a pastor. I'm a mother. I'm a friend. I'm a director of the small business of small businesses for Jersey City Economic Development Corporation. I'm an author. Um, so I do a lot of different things. Uh, and I think for me, what I would say when I get that question, like, well, who are you? I kind of sum it all, all up and say, I'm a woman who's dedicated to pushing other people into their purpose. Got it. Yeah. We had a perfect guest for this for this show, though. Um, well, let's start on the the pastor front, right? Because um, people have ideas about who they think a pastor is and what they do, and whether those ideas be negative or positive. Um, but I want to talk about your upbringing a little bit um, because you're a pastor, but you're also a PK. I am right. So tell me a little bit about how you grew up. Oh my gosh! Um, well, my parents, um, you know, growing up Pentecostal, so. Like no lipstick, uh, no jeans. I'm very like straight. My mother would always wear a bun. You know, she had that church hat on. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so I grew up in a very, I would say, strict environment. And then we moved um, further down to South Brunswick, New Jersey. And so then we ended up in a church in Perth Amboy, which was a Baptist church. It was kind of very similar, but yet different. So I grew up in a very what I would say, spiritually structured household, meaning that everything came second to church. So, right, we were always at church for Bible class, sunrise service, Easter service, Mother's Day service, uh, the kids' service. And, and so I literally grew up church. I mean, 
you know, it was just in me. And I wouldn't say the relationship was, it was just the religion itself and going to church and the importance of going to church, whether I liked it or not, sleeping on the back pew or making it to convocation, you know, and just having to be there or your mother pop you for not, you know, being attentive and alert. So I grew up in church. And so my mom and dad got sent out in 19, I was in 1996 to start their own church. So transition just from being a minister's kid to a PK, which has its own set of challenges um, that I really can say you really can't know it or tell somebody until you're in those shoes. Um, They can be challenging shoes to grow up in, Um, especially I would say around the 90s era. It's a little bit different now. Things are a little bit more lenient, but that that, that 90s period, it it was real strict. And, 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 And so you could do no wrong. Right. You could do no wrong. And the reality is I was doing a lot of wrong. Okay. Cray to the Z.com. Okay. PK, Cray to the Z. I wanted the red lipstick. I was, girl, do you remember when they had, um, the, it was like the pleated skirts was in with the thigh high stocking? Yes. Do it. Ooh, my father was like, is you crazy? No, we're not doing that. <laughs> but so, so growing up like that for me, it was really structured. And I would also say, uh, in some ways, it made you hate church. Mm. Like, I just keep it real. It made you hate it because everything, everything, everything came before you. And that, and I'm glad you brought that up because to see where you are now and being a shepherd and, you know, leading a congregation, yeah, I know plenty of PKs. I am one also. Um, <laughs> and I, I see how it has affected a lot of people and people run away from not only the religious piece, but the relationship piece often because they resent the fact that they came second to, to, to everything, right? Their parents shepherding all these other people or they resent the fact they had to work, right? Because the reality of it is when you're, when you're a PK, and I was at college when my mom started pastoring, so I didn't get the full you know, yeah. brunt of it. But when you are a PK, you're, you're like an employee of the church, like an unpaid <laughs> employee for a lot of people permanently. <laughs> so people have this idea that like, I'm throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I have such trauma and such bad memories um, and a lot, a lot of situations of abuse, right? From the, the membership and all of that other stuff, which people don't like to talk about, right? Um, but I have all of that. So you know what? I'm going in a completely different direction and I don't want anything to do with that. But for you, you know, you at some point you were not only heavily involved in your parents' church, yep. but also got the call, you know, yep. to go out. Yep. So how did you move from that place of like, this is a lot, I resent some of it to like, not only am I healed from that piece or being healed from that piece, but also I'm about to do the same thing and, and lead my own flock. Girl, bye. <laughs> Girl, bye. It did not happen overnight. It did not happen in six months. I would honestly say my college years are wild out, mm. period. I'm just being honest. And I was walling. Like, I was like, Woo! How that college? What? You know, you know, the Raj Um, And I think for me, it did not take until after college, going into corporate America. And at the beginning, I really wanted to be an actress and a model. Like that mm-hmm. was my focus. And I think what where I began to pivot, right, from 
I'm not doing church. I can keep that. I'm not marrying a pastor. I, I mean, I told my, I was like, no, I dated deacons. I dated elders. I've dated, you know, pastors to be. I, all of it, you name it, I dated it because that's what church tells you to do, right? You in this church circle. And what I did find, little side note, not saying all are like this, but the ones that I had encountered, I was like, y'all got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. I don't want none of it, <laughs> none of it. And so for me, I think where I began to pivot from running from what God probably placed inside of me at the time, and I just was like ignoring it, is when I never forget, I was doing these modeling um, calls. And I never forget that I was on this audition and they just were like, so, all right, just take off your shirt, take off this, take off that. And I was just kind of like, who? who? Who's going to do that? Wait, what? And, you know, there's girls just around like, woo-hoo, And I was just like, oh, no, we're not, we're not, pardon my advice, fitting to do that. <laughs> we're not fitting to do that. And, I, and, and, and when I realized that people just looked at me as a hanger, mm. literally a hanger, like not not education, not what I could bring to the table. You're just a hanger. I just realized I did not want to compromise my moral values for that. And that's when the pivot started to happen for me. And still simultaneously, I still was helping in the ministry. Like you said, I was a permanent volunteer. So I had ushered, I did the sound ministry. I did the youth ministry, media of the communications department. I mean, I did that. I can run a whole church by myself. <laughs> Because I did it with my parents, right? And so mm-hmm. when we were starting, I literally would pray. I can't sing. I'm Kirk Franklin. I was doing the whole praise team, but we was making it work. We were really good. And so for me, it was a pivot of, you know what? I know I'm more than this. It was disheartening because this is something that I dreamed of doing. Mm-hmm. And now I find myself shifting into an area that I said I would never go into and I never wanted to enter into. And so it was a pivot. It was a shift. And it took some years. Mm-hmm. It took some years. And, and, and actually the call and everybody finds the story interesting of me accepting it finally um, put me in a very vulnerable place mm. because saying that I'm called to be a pastor means I have to leave my mother and father. Right, which is a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. And that was, if not anything, the hardest thing for me to manage. I literally had anxiety for months. And the way I creepy crawled into it is I said, okay, listen, mom, dad, like every second Sunday, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to, I'll never forget. I said, I'm going to visit other churches because where God is calling me is not this. And he's calling me to that. And I need to see what that is, but I need to go to different places. And so for like a year, every second Sunday, I was not at church. And let's pause here because yeah. people who are not familiar with yeah. those of us who are rooted and grounded in Pentecostalism, yeah. um, and it's ironic, we had a guest on last week who had our own story. Um, and I feel like this is all timely, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, but people who are rooted in that, they may listen to this and say, okay, so you decided to go to a church, a different church once a month, not understanding 
um, how people, whether you're still in the Pentecostal faith, but if that's what your foundation is, yeah, how church leadership and family functions, right? Oh gosh. It's its own bubble. It is. It can be a bit cultish at times, right? It's like yeah. being in the military. You yeah. don't just decide one day that you're walking off the base, right? You have to be given, in a lot of instances, permission to do that or right. blessed to go out, right? Right. And, and leave. And I've seen families torn apart by that decision where people right. feel excommunicated right. um, by just making a choice to go in another direction. Right. So how did your parents perceive that or receive it? Ooh. Ooh. Well, once I got over, uh-huh. because, it, you know, like I cannot stress to you how stressful that was for me. Like, the, I, in, I mean, I internalized so much. I literally had visions of me and my father arguing, like going toe to toe about it. And I just was like, Lord, my, my biggest thing was I didn't want to cause a blessing. I, I I wanted to be a blessing. And so I was very careful and strategically, like not trying to make a blessing, but be a blessing, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's very important for anybody listening. When you're jumping out, you want to make sure you're being a blessing and not trying to make a blessing. Those are to- two totally different things. And I think for me, um, you know, I got the anxiety of talk to my mom first and my mother was like, okay, I hear you. And she didn't deny what she saw. She didn't deny the call. So if I pause there for a second, I think a part of me was like upset because I was like, wait, how long did you know? Mm. Had me up in here working when I could have been already over here starting something. That's a whole nother conversation. I'm just being honest. And so, so finally she was like, okay, well, let me work this up to your dad. Right. That was like, so she already knew that my plan was to launch out. But she was going to work on him. So she finally um, <laughs> must have been working on him. I don't know if she said anything. And so I did it like, just so you understand, I went so by the book. Me and my parents live across the street. Like we own a house, six houses down from where I currently am. Okay. So we could have easily walked across the street, brought some macaroni and cheese and said, Dad, let's have a conversation. I didn't do that. I called the church secretary, got a, a meeting on the calendar. And I was like, okay, we need to meet. And she said, well, where would you like I said, I'll meet them at their house <laughs> across the street from mine. But I needed it to be official. And I went through the official channels to do so. And I kid you not, at that time, I told my husband, because we were married by the time. And I said, okay, here I go. And I think he was like away on business or something. But he knew, I said, he didn't need to be there. I said, this has to be a me thing. Even though it's us, just because it's my parents, I said, this has to just be a new thing. And he respected that. So, girl, I'll never forget. I was over there. My heart was like, boom, 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 boom. Because you imagine, whoo, sweating. <laughs> well, sweating places you ain't know you can sweat. And so I get over there, and it's literally me and my father. And I said, well, Dad, I have somebody to talk to you about. And he said, now, what could that be? Because <laughs> he already had kind of got just, and I said, well, you know, that I believe God is calling me to ministry and I'm ready. And, you know, I think it's my time to go. And he got quiet and I got on the defensive internally. Like, mm-hmm. let's go. David in the line. Let's get it. And so then all of a sudden he goes, if that's what God is calling me to do, I'm not going to stop you. And hopefully I was internally mad because I was prepared for the fight. So now I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We're not going to fight about this. We're not going to argue about this. 
and I waited all of this time. I wasted all this time in my head of what I thought it was going to be. Right. Wasn't, girl. And he was just like, if that's what God is calling y'all to do, he's like, I'm not going to stop you. And that was the end. Wow. Simple. Which shows how evolved your parents are. Right. Correct. Correct. But it was, but it, but what, what, what got me, I was just like, God, how many people <laughs> waste time trying to get, trying to play out things in their mind of what approval is going to look like mm-hmm. instead of having the faith to do what God told you to do. Right. Girl, wasted time. Which I think, you know, we, we, this show and what we think 26ers are, we're high achieving people, we're visionaries, but we're also often overthinkers. Mm-hmm. So we want to be prepared for every possible outcome and have a contingency plan and all of our thoughts ready and actions and whatever counterpoints and not realizing that sometimes you're delaying your actual purpose by trying to have everything figured out, which so much of that is just ego anyway. Um, and you know, I always say that ego, as Dr. Wayne Dyer says, is edging God out. So you're not even giving him the chance to really uh, orchestrate on your behalf because you're trying to figure out how to manage all of the contingencies and everything that could possibly go wrong. Um, and I definitely want to get to uh, what it's like pastoring in the 21st century and, and all of that, because that's a whole other conversation. Um, so we're going to save that, though, uh, <laughs> for sure. But I want to talk about uh, also, you're not just a pastor in the sense that like we have a congregation, this is what we do. You're involved in the economic and empowerment and economic development within the community that, where you serve. So I want to talk about that. What does that look like for you in terms of your contribution to uh, the economic advancement of Jersey City? Well, it's interesting mm-hmm. because I wear two, well, three hats. My mother is also a politician, mm-hmm. a pastor. So at one time I was her campaign manager, right? So by default, I just know a lot. And as as a... As a pastor in an urban environment where the community, if not if they're not working for their lower middle class, okay? So there's just so many layers to that off the jump. Right. Just, just, just from a foundational understanding perspective. And so I think what me and my husband do is we strive to educate people. It is just so important from, and, and, and here, we're not just talking about spiritually because that, that's, that's what we do, but your finances, did you check your credit score? Right. You know what it is. Do, do you know why you have it? Do, you know, and, 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 and power. so for us, it's really big in empowering our, uh, the community to, to understand that they can have better. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that you can, we're here to tell you that you can. And not only are we going to tell you, we're going to give you the steps and the guide to do it. For example, we had, um, I do a woman's conference called She's Bad, right? And so one day, the, the I launched like this part of the conference two years ago, and it was for women entrepreneurs. Watch this. So they didn't know. All they had to do was register for $50. They had a whole booklet. I'm talking about business plan, understanding financial jargon, just trying to break even points, right? Getting your business together. All they had to do was register. That's it. Now, I can't tell you how many people I had told me they were going to come, say they were going to do it, but I don't like investing in people who don't invest in themselves. Exactly. A waste of time. 50 bucks. 
And you know why that was intentional? Because I had a sponsor on the back end that was giving me money for every person who registered to walk out with $500. Wow. But all you had to do was register. And so it's really, really changing the mindset of waiting for a handout to going to get it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you, it is, it is, you know, we have a great church, we have great people, but it is having those conversations of, wait a minute, you didn't need two cars. And let me show you why you didn't need two cars, you know, and, 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 just different things. Like we take some of our young people on there. I'll never forget. This was hilarious. We took um, some of the boys specifically to a bookstore. Now this is not something magical, but we took them to a bookstore in Short Hills Mall because we wanted them to see the power of reading. Mm-hmm. And when they were in that bookstore, they, it blew their minds. We were in there for hours, hours, because they just didn't see reading in that light before. So for us, it's just so many layers and it's, it's just so much, but I'm just dedicated to helping as many people can in so many ways, again, and then being a director, right, that deals specifically with small businesses, it's just getting people to understand you can have your own. Right. Launch out and do it and I'll give you the steps and the guides to do it. Literally last week, I was having a conversation with a woman. She was like, oh, they told me I need an LLC and I just didn't have the money and it was this and it was that. And I just was looking at her and she would tell me all this other stuff while I'm watching her do what needs to be under the LLC. Girl, I just cashed after $150 and I was just like, please do this and do it now. And I think for me, I've met a lot of people personally in my life um, who will remain nameless because y'all probably know they're famous. And... um <laughs> And I've met with them and they say, oh, I'm going to mentor, I'm going to coach. And then when I take them up on that, then they don't do it, right? It becomes a money thing. Mm -hmm. And I hated that feeling and I never, ever wanted to be like that to somebody. So I'm always going above and beyond and giving so I can help somebody to get to the next level. It's just so important. Right. And I think, you know, there are a couple of points I want to highlight uh, because I, I was having this conversation with DeMarcus, my brother who produces the show. And, you know, people come to us all the time. They, they come to me asking for legal guidance. They come to him asking for videography and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and when numbers start to be discussed, then it's like, actually, <laughs> we're going to go in another direction, right? Um, but for me personally, and it's not that you can jump out of the gate and invest $60,000 in your business. We all don't have that. And we acknowledge some of the challenges specifically that we have as a community, right? Because we don't, we don't all have the rich uncle or, you know, we're not all Jeff Bezos whose family's going to give them a quarter of a million dollars to get started. And so it may take longer, but for me personally, when you, and I wasn't born like this, it took a while for me to figure it out. But when you hold on to every dollar and you're afraid to invest in your vision, there's two things that, 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 that happens, right? That, that tells me you're moving in a scarcity mentality. And from a place of lack. And you're if that's what you're focused on, that's what's just going to grow, right? So the lack is going to grow. That's number one. Number two, if you're holding on to the money and you're afraid to invest in yourself, the energy that you're giving off is that I don't believe enough in myself to believe that this investment will generate a return. But then you're expecting somebody else to invest in you, right? So if, if you're not confident enough to invest in yourself, why would you expect someone else to, to give the handout? And there are people like you who will, you know, who will do it and say, just move forward. Um, but that mentality is only going to inhibit you. And I think one of the things that I had to learn is that everything's not going to be a home run. 
right? You right. may make some missteps and it's like, man, I spent all that money right. on this and it didn't generate, you know, what I thought it was going to generate. But that is a part of the journey. And everybody has that story from the smallest business owner to the largest corporation. You will launch something. You're like, this is it. Yeah. And then when it falls flat, it's like, well, man, you know, and, and you have to get to the point where you're able to move past that quickly and not wallow in it. You do. But what I also will add to that is you have to, or anybody has to understand the importance of giving. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that takes a lot because for so many of us, we're afraid to give because what if, mm-hmm. right? what if it doesn't succeed? What if it doesn't work out? But the law of attraction is real. Right. And, and if you can just move your mind out of fear and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to give. Or I'm, For me as a pastor, in the church jargon, people listen. It, what I'm about to say is church jargon, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sow a seed. Right. Okay. So for me, I always sow a seed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's second nature to me because I understand I cannot reap a harvest if there's nothing in the ground. Right. And so what am I telling you? No matter what's going on, you have to have put something out there. You have to have done something in order for it to come back to you. And I think a lot of people get stuck right there in the, "Mm, I, I got this money and I know I need to write this book or I know I need to start this business, but, uh, what if? And my thing is you will stay there. I'll never forget my good friend, uh, uh, former Governor McGreevy, mm-hmm. we having lunch one day and he said to me, he said, Jen, you know, you are helping so many people that one day you're going to look up and you have helped everybody else get to where they need to be, but you won't be where you should be. Mm-hmm. And I said, I looked at the governor and I said, you right. <laughs> and I mean, that was years ago, but, but for me, it was that awakening of, Learn to be selfish for yourself. Right. And look at the giving. Like if I'm giving and it's and it's for it's for me, you know, and, and even though it may leave my hand, it never leaves my heart. It never Absolutely. And, and if you can think about it that way, then you always know that whatever I gave out, I'm always going to have. Absolutely. And I think, too, like one of the things that uh, we try to promote on this show by the people that we bring on is what that looks like for each of us may be different, right? There are people who are going to jump in with both feet, put their last into an idea and deal with the financial trouble, the lights possibly getting cut off, whatever it comes with that to realize that that vision. Um, but there are other people who are going to build that quietly on the side. And, it, you know, they have the day job, they're doing this at night. And each of the, you know, each of the different ways you can approach something will have its challenges. And so it's like figuring out what is the right method and mechanism for you, but whatever it is, investing in that. Um, and I, one thing I'll never minimize is people who have grown up or experienced financial insecurity and that that impacts their, um, their choices. Um, but my thing is always, even if you got to start small, just start small. And this is also church jargon, be a good steward, That's you know, over the, the small, right? Because then it will grow for sure. But this conversation um, you had with former Governor McGreevy is actually a great segue into your book. No, actually, I can't. Learning how to say yes to your dreams. So I want to talk about that, where the vision for that book came of, came from, and if you could tell, a little, tell us a little bit more about what it's about. Sure. So the vision of that is exactly the title. No, I can't. I had to get comfortable with saying no. 
And I had to, there's another friend of mine um, and he's a pastor in California. And he was like, Jen, you got to let people fail. And I really had to think about that because I'm so used to helping and so used to doing and so used to giving that it was like, okay, sure, I'll figure it out. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, yes, yes. I was just a little bunny rabbit. Yes, 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 yes. And then I realized that I really was hurting myself. And so the whole book, No, Actually, I Can't, is really an empowerment to people to understanding the power in saying no. A lot of the time, society, we give such a bad rap to that one word, no. And there's such a negative connotation that comes with it that I flip it on its head and I say, no, actually saying no is a good thing. When it, when, when it comes to me recognizing that I need to do something for me, no, I can't. And I'm not going to let the guilt of you or the guilt of the situation that you're in. I'm not going to be an enabler anymore for anybody or anything. So no, actually I can't. And I'm saying no to you because I'm really saying yes to me. And that takes a certain level of maturity. And I had to get there because here's the other part of that. I had to say no to my family. I had to say no to some friends, some relationships. I remember crying in a relationship at the time. Girls, not in a, <laughs> you know, thinking you love somebody. And I just said, no, I can't. Because I had to say yes to myself. And, and, and so that's what it's about. It's just about empowering you to realize, you know, I've helped enough of you. Right that I feel comfortable saying no. And no, I can't. Because I'm, I'm saying yes to me for a change. And I, I'm saying me first. And I think that is an especially hard thing for Black women to come. Because we have been conditioned and groomed from the beginning to you stand up, you, you be, you're there for everybody, you do what they ask, you know, you're cooperative, um, all of those things. And I remember... Uh, we're huge proponents of therapy on this show. Um, so I remember having a black female therapist and sitting in her office and I was just resenting everybody, right? I'm tired of, you know, doing this for this person, being there and everybody's pulling me in 55 different directions and clients and work and this and that. And she said to me, you know, she let me finish my little mini rant. And she said, when are you going to stop doing the same thing and expecting a different result? Come on, Sandy. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you keep expecting people to change instead of setting the appropriate boundary. Mm. And until you get to the point where you can put yourself first and say like, no, that's a no for me. We're going to continue to have this conversation. And you're pointing the finger at everyone else, but they're only doing what you've conditioned them to do. Right. And I was like, well, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that is what started my journey. And it, to this day, it's still um, still a journey. And I think that church piece comes into it too. Like if you grew up in Christianity, of not wanting to let people down and disappoint and, you know, die to self and all this other stuff, um, we get caught in this cycle. But one of the things that I'm clear on, because I talk to Black women every single day, is many are angry, mm-hmm. disappointed, and mm-hmm. feel like they're getting the shorthand in life, right? That they've been dealt a bad hand. Um, But so much of that is because they have not been able to stand up and say, I'm going to put me first. And a lot of people are expecting the reward for making those sacrifices and not realizing that it may not come unless you say, wait a minute, stop. Some things have to change um, as as well. And and it's, it's interesting because we always say we have less women on the show than men and not for lack of trying. But it's so much harder to pin Black women down speaking to a whole other issue like the men are available they're like what time right (laughs) 
Right. But the women are like, I got these kids. I have my husband. I have this, I have that. Let me see what I can figure out. Oh, I want to listen to 17 episodes first and make sure I'm equipped and all this other stuff. Um, but I think this is an important conversation to to have. I'm, I'm glad that you've written about it uh, in a book because I feel like now a lot of women are coming to the realization that I need to know how to say no, but I don't know how. I don't know how to put myself first. And you know, and what, and what I will also say to that is I would tell someone, sometimes you just need to adjust your focus mm-hmm. and, and, and you need to change, you need to change your perception of things. And I think sometimes as women, I think that we wear so many hats uh, that we put so much on us and sometimes unnecessarily. Um, and we live up to, we live up to these standards that no one else has put on us, but us. Right. And, and because we feel like nothing can get done without us. That's true. We feel like nothing can get done without us because even if you do do it, it's not going to be the way I want you to do it. So let me just do it so we don't have to argue or fight. Mm-hmm. But, but I, think, I think the most powerful thing that uh, anybody can really do is understand that I can only go as far as the horizon I see. Mm. And so what am I saying to you? I'm saying that if I stay here and just try to manage everything here, there's no room for growth for me. At some point, I have to start moving towards the horizon. And as I do that, I start to realize that, well, the horizon keeps moving further. I never will reach it. But if I stay put in this one spot, trying to be an octopus with all these arms, trying to reach, I, I'm never going to achieve it. And I, and I, I just want to encourage any woman or any person like, stop living your life thinking that you have to do it all. Mm-hmm. You don't have the answers. You won't have the answers. And help will never come if you don't make room for it. Right. If there's, if, if there's no room for help, why would help find you? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's us being honest with ourselves to say, you know what? The issue is really me and the insecurity that I have to relinquish control in order to succeed. And that's, that's a good word. word. That's a good word. And you, you keep setting these segments up perfectly. That's how I know you're pastor and you're crazy. Um, so let's talk relationship and marriage, right? So I, I read in an interview that you did, I was mm-hmm. cracking up because you said, you know, you could have been married three different times. Uh, <laughs> um, but you did, you know, find love and you said those situations were not quite right. And, you know, I know from personal experience and um, from talking to my friends who are female friends who are super ambitious and have their hands in 35 different pots. um, Many feel like every area, to use your word, every other area of their lives are under control. They can't seem to connect the dots romantically. Uh And I think what many of us struggle with, and I'll include myself in this, is that we often have this laser-like focus um, about all the things that we can control. So it's like, I got to do this and I got my job and I got this and I'm involved up here and I'm doing all this stuff and trying to make room uh, for this person, right? In, in your life and not a lot of men understand how to care for and be with a woman like that. So what are some of the challenges that you experienced in dating? And then how did you come to a place of being like, okay, this, this is the right situation for me and I'm going to take the plunge and move towards marriage with this person. Your face is cracking me up right now. Can I just tell you? So I I realized 
I could have been married three times. Very true. The first time I was so glad I didn't. No disrespect to him. But, you know, you just find out somebody's just not who they say they are. Right. Um, and the second time, um, I was blinded by love and wasn't listening to those around me who saw the red flags that I was choosing to ignore. Mm-hmm. But at that instance, um, I finally was able to see that that wasn't for me. And in my third instance, the reality was he was infatuated and I was just like, I don't see it. Like, I, I don't, you were both praying. You said God told you yes. And I said, I didn't hear him. I said, serve the same God and he's speaking to you, but he's ignoring me. I don't know if we've heard him. I think for me, it was really just a matter of, I was tired of dating and I was just tired of like, Wanting love so bad, mm-hmm. just wanting love so bad. This like white picket fence kind of situation. Like I just want that, and I just got tired of it. And I just was like, you know what? Whatever. And I'm gonna tell y'all the truth, Pastor and all. I had this theory of something called the starting five. Mm. Okay, I, that was just me. I'll be honest. I had minister and all. I had a starting five. So my starting five was I had five people on the bench. <laughs> Keeping them all warm. My husband, keeping them all warm. But everybody understood that we was just dating. So if you happen to catch me with number two and you number four, we would not have a beef because you knew what it was. So I was very, number one, I was very honest about where I was and what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I got to start in five. And so you just come into the team, so you just got to work your way up and let's see what happens. And then eventually the team will dismantle and one will rise to the surface. And that's what happened. I'm being honest. I I was never the person that would throw all my eggs in one basket. Never. Because when I would do that, I feel like I just would get hurt too much. And I said, you know what? It is too many fish out here in the ocean, and I live near the Atlantic. So let me figure this out. And I'm being honest, and that was my rationale. And so dating changed for me. Mm-hmm. I was open and honest, like, listen, we could date, but I'm dating other people. And you can do the same thing. Don't think you're offending me, but just understand, I just need to get to know you. I need to know because what I thought I knew wasn't what I thought I it wasn't what I needed, right? Mm. And so. I, I, we did the whole, I did the whole starting five thing. And my husband cracks jokes about it now. And um, because he thinks it's funny. And then I got to a place where I met my husband. And at the time that I met him, I didn't even, I wasn't looking. And I think if I stopped there, I would just say to women, stop looking so daggone hard. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, you at supermarket, you know, you you on Zillow, every, you, everywhere you want. Not Zillow, though. You're a realtor, just everywhere you go. Just chill. Just chill and let it organically happen. And I met my husband, and let me tell you, it's so funny because we I don't think we were supposed to meet. Like, the devil was, that night, it was, was my brakes fell out in the car. I was driving to a social event in the city. He says it was a party. I say, my flyer said networking event. So say whatever you want to say. But that's what my flyer said. And my brakes went out. I never forget the, the, the girl, my friend who I was asking to couple me. She's like, I ain't got nothing to wear. I went to the mall, bought her an outfit. I just, something about the night. I was like, I got to go. I got to get up. It's a long story. So we met. And um, we were met with some challenges in the beginning, but we met. And just something about him. And I just really, really enjoyed how different he was his carefree approach to life because he could just be like, yeah, whatever. Took me hiking and took up his shoes, walked down the lake. I was like, oh, 
Did you just take off your shoes and walk in the lake? Where do we do that at? <laughs> I was bougie. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm, I'm I'm frolicking, skipping through the lake myself, you know? And so um, it was an adjustment mm-hmm. because there was a time when me and my husband was dating that I thought we were going to be done. Mm. And it was because of no other reason than I, I had an attitude problem. I'm going to be honest. And I think he had some adjusting to do and growing to do. And I think for the both of us, we saw the potential in each other. Mm-hmm. Weren't sure. So we went to counseling. This is like pre-engagement. We went to counseling because we saw the potential, but we needed somebody to kind of kick up the dust of others that we weren't quite sane or knew existed. And we did that. And that was the best thing we could have ever done because it gave us a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it helped me see my husband in a different light, right? Not so defensive and not so like, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, because we tend to do that. Right. I think as women, I, I think, you know, when we have, we, we're high achievers or women who are high achievers and you have a lot going on and you just kind of feel like, listen, okay, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I got all this going on and I got to do this, 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 I got this client, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got this nonprofit, I got this CDC, I'm volunteering here, I'm on the board here and I've got all these other things. But then I told somebody, I said, well, if you have all that going on, then you must try to be Paul in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, that that's the truth because you can't say in one breath, I want love and then don't make room for it. Right. And I think a lot of women do that as a defense mechanism mm-hmm. just to stay busy because they don't want to be hurt and they don't want to be vulnerable. So it's okay. Well, I got all this going on. Well, the truth is some of that could wait, go to dinner, go eat mm-hmm. or go get takeout now because it's COVID. Do whatever. You know what I mean? But I think some of us, we did that as a defense mechanism, to be honest, because you cannot say you want love and then don't make room for it. Right. That, that to me, I hear a lot of women say that, oh, I can't find no good man. I'm like, okay, well, you're a nurse practitioner. You work 14 hours a day. And then on the days you're off, you complain because you don't want to do nothing. So what do you expect him to do? He's going to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I think women got to be honest enough and, and, and answer the question is, are you making room for love? Because making room for love means I am willing to be vulnerable to know that this might not work, but I'm okay with that because this is something that I want in my life. Right. And that's the truth. And I think too, it goes to the point you were making about giving people space to grow and adjust. Right. And, and when you are a professional woman and you feel like everything is really buttoned up, yeah. when somebody comes and they don't meet vision of what you had in your mind, right? Of what the, the, the king and priest of your home could be. Then it's like, oh, wait, like, <laughs> you know. And recalibrate. Yes, it takes a recalibration. Um, and a lot of people, and I think some of it, and, and I could speak to this for sure. Once you reach a certain age, it's like, I don't got time to be playing, right? I want a family. I want all these things. I don't have time for this to grow into something. And if it's not working, I'm just going to move on. Um, and there's not a lot of, it's like the, the it's a two-edged sword in that um, you want it so bad, right? But you're unwilling to bend and feeling like you don't have the time to let it grow organically, right? So looking for some fictitious phantom version of love and relationship where it's all supposed to just fit and come together without work. And that's just not the way it's going to be at all. Um, 
So a lot of what you said is, is resonating with me and the conversation that I'm having, the conversations my girlfriends are having and colleagues about how to, you know, navigate when you're not 22 and, you know, at, a, at a, of a certain age and of a certain stage and levels of accomplishment. But what would you say um, to those women, because I'm also one of them, who feel the pressure of, you know, I want to be a mom. I want to be all these things. And I'm, I'm at this age now where it, there's a window and that window is closing. So how am I supposed to chill, right? And just date to date when like there are things that I want that my body may not cooperate with because I am, you know, closer to 40 than I am 30. Well, number one, I would tell every woman, um, whatever you think you want, throw it out the window. Mm -hmm. Throw it out the window. Okay, because that night in shining armor that you have in your head was probably the guy you wanted at 25 and you just haven't, you you just haven't, he hasn't matured in your brain. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have this picture. And the reality is, I tell I tell women all this all the time. And I, listen, what are your deal breakers? Let's just just get straight to it. What are your deal breakers? And if you have a deal breaker, then you have to be honest with yourself. Is this really a deal breaker or am I like, mm, maybe so? Right. Um, but but honestly, every woman in this situation needs to just I, I would say whatever you think you want, throw it out the window. And I tell my good girlfriends, I said, date. Whoever, mm-hmm. like, if what's what? What is it going to hurt you? But maybe twenty, thirty dollars, go Dutch. I mean, what is it going to hurt you? Good conversation. Maybe you met a new friend. That's it. Mm-hmm. But whatever you have in your head, stop it. Because let's be honest too, as women, sometimes you just put too much pressure on men mm-hmm. to do this, and we want you to be the priest of our household. Because I need you to pray with me. Then I need you to. What's your credit look like? And then okay, is you healthy? And what's your blood sugar like? <laughs> How many different things going on? Is your exercising right? Look at what's your friends, what they look like, what they into. I mean, hmm, what's your hobbies? I mean, if we just stopped and listened to ourselves, would you date you? Mm-hmm. And that's come on, Holy Spirit, that's a good question. Would you date yourself? Mm-hmm. That's good because sometimes you're too. We can be too high maintenance. We require way too much. And you have a man that is sitting here trying to love you, trying to be nice to you, trying to get to know you. And you always got an excuse for something else. Girl, bye. And that's just the truth. Stop stop forcing people to love you on your terms. Mm-hmm. Love is not about you and, 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 and doing it the way I want. If you want to be in a relationship to anybody who's listening, the number one thing you have to do is call sacrifice. Right. And if you're really not ready to do that, then you're really not ready to date and you're really not ready to be married. So if your biological clock is ticking and you want children, I I really suggest to you to do a self-evaluation to say, okay, wait a minute. What I date myself? Am I too high maintenance? Do, do I have too many requirements? Because ain't nobody trying to... Date nobody who got all these boxes that need to be checked. That's just too much pressure for one person. Allow someone to be imperfect. Allow them to fail. Mm-hmm. If my husband didn't allow me to fail and, and yell at him and scream at him and act crazy, be mad for a week. I mean, I had to grow out of that. I would be mad for a week. Don't talk to me this week. I don't got nothing to say. Knowing I'm mad. And then when he calls to say what's wrong, I'll be like, nothing, but I'm mad. <laughs> but I'm mad because he didn't ask me. Wow. He, he, he couldn't read between the lines. So now I'm mad again. <laughs> Okay, that's just too much. Right. But he allowed me the space to grow up. How about that? Mm -hmm. Some of us, oh God, that's good. Some of us as women who are educated, 
who have achieved, who've arrived to a certain status in life, but we haven't grown up emotionally. Mm-hmm. We haven't grown up in, in our relationships. And so really, we're out of balance. Mm-hmm. And we're somewhere emotionally, we think we're somewhere emotionally, that we really are not. Right. And so we have all of these high standards for men. And the reality is, well, tell me where you can find Boris Kojo, Idris Elba, and LeBron James and put them all in one. Show me where. <laughs> Kanye crazy. All in one. You're not going to find that. So what I suggest women do, and I tell my girlfriends, open your eyes. Who's knocking at your door now? Is he workable? Mm-hmm. All I needed was a little bit of work. Because when you think about love, you think about lifetime and a partnership. You don't want to be married to a robot. Right. You want to be married to someone that'll let you grow and you'll let them grow. You can mess up and they can mess up. But all of this, you know, and, and if we we don't watch too much of Insecure and Housewives of Atlanta and all of this other stuff that just put a lot of false things in our minds of what relationships should be and what a man should do. No. Right. You ain't got nobody. You don't need to have no rules. I'm being honest. I'm not even trying to be mean, but what I'm saying is that sometimes we have love looking at us right in our face, mm-hmm. but we have too many restrictions, too many guidelines that we will we'll push them away and then realize two years later, whew, the grass wasn't greener. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the kind of internal dialogue that a lot of women are having. Like, am I am I waiting for something better? Do I work with this? Uh, you know, and do I want to work with this? Because it requires really dying daily <laughs> um, <laughs> every day. Um, but also, too, I, I like the point that you mentioned about how I, I personally am a, I'm supportive of the roster idea um, <laughs> and giving people because and let me tell you why it takes the expectation out of it yes. for, for one person to be yeah. what you you know want. Right. And you have a view of a few different people and you give people the opportunity to rise to the occasion. Right. Um, And also on the flip side, we've talked a lot about women and our expectations. But one of the things that I've seen from men uh, and the complaints that I hear all the time is men want a woman to perform like a wife. Yeah. Before they've proven that they can be a husband. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When you've got, you know, when you when you take the pressure off and just say, all right, you know, I don't have a lot of expectations. I just have these people and I'm dating them. And whoever rises to the top, that's who rises to the top. Right. And, and we decide that we can work together. And I, and I think especially if you grew up in Christianity, because so much of it is like this focus of like I'm, I'm praying and seeking. Is this the person like is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? So you get just caught up in this one situation where it blows up into this whole thing that it didn't even have to be. If people knew how to just have fun. Yeah, my thing is, listen, get out of this, is this the one, mm-hmm. when you still got to start in five. No, right. ain't nobody the one. Like, we, we haven't even got, no one has been kicked off the team. Nobody's called a technical, okay, everybody's in the game at this point. So what I tell people, and they used to laugh at me all the time, I said, listen, this is a game of chess, okay? You just entered. You are the pawn. <laughs> But I need you to understand, there's a rook, there's a knight, there's a bishop. Let's see how it all plays out. And I think that I'm very big on people understanding their role Mm -hmm. and position. And here's my thing. If a man or a woman can't respect respect my decision today, then we don't need to be dealing off the jump. If you just want to box me in just to see you, first off, now I'm thinking you you might be crazy. (laughs) 
because you're just too caught up in me that you're afraid that I'm going to meet somebody else. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we're not doing that today. So, yeah, Mm-mm. just live life. And and, and, and then church does that. Church makes you focus on, is this the one for you? Is this the one for you? How about, will I see you next week? Right. Can we just get past date number one? How about that? Can I just get past the fact that, like, you're not trying to grope me? <laughs> can I get? Can I just get past the fact that we had dinner and I feel I really got to go to the bathroom, but I'm really trying to hold it because I don't want to walk away because I know you're going to look at my butt? Can I just, can I, can I just get past that first? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like church can put so much added pressure on you that I've seen a lot of people get married who really didn't need to be married. Mm just because they have been together two years, three years. And the church said, well, now we've arrived at a place where y'all need to be married because it's better, it's better to marry than to burn. To burn. Well, listen, I done been caught on fire and the fire got put out the <laughs> top. <laughs> Sorry. But that, I think that that's the realistic conversations that need to be ha- had um, that a lot of evangelical, you know, Christians just not, not trying to address. Um, which brings me back to you pastoring in 2020 and, and what that looks like, right? Because there's this idea that like, you know, there are articles written about it. There's studies about how church membership is not growing. People are literally just either leaving altogether or bouncing from church to church to church, right? Um, and we're in the digital age where access to information is insane, right? So people are starting to question, well, what I was taught about Christianity, about the Bible, this doesn't make sense. I'm off that, right? There's all kinds of conversations happening online about what we need to glean and what we need to leave. Um, So when people tell me that they're starting a church, right, in this day and age, I'm like, ooh, Godspeed, honey, because, you know, it's a different day and age. So in your experience of trying to grow a church, and specifically, I want to talk specifically about that millennial generation, right? What do you think it's going to take to really draw them in? Honesty. Mm Mm-hmm. Period. Just being completely raw and transparent. Um, we grew up, you and I grew up in a time where it was tell some, keep some. Right. Okay. We grew up in a time where you wouldn't hear everything, you know, because you don't you tell that testimony. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't got time. I'll tell it all. Okay. My church be like, your pastor Jim is a nut because I don't play games with people's spirituality. I, I, I think for the millennial generation, they just want people or they want someone who's going to be honest and honest enough to tell you, listen, you're going to mess up. I'm not going to preach you no fairy tale, no fantasy. You're going to mess up. You cursed somebody out yesterday. I know you did. You ain't got to tell me, right? You, you was dipping it low last week. Okay. You was getting your eagle on last night. So what? And I think the problem is in the church world is we give people this preconceived notion that you need to come to God when you're right and when you're ready. Mm-hmm. When that is wrong, you need to come to God when you're wrong and ratchet and he will help you get to where you need to be and and get and, and, and make people feel comfortable enough to come to church when they're raw and ratchet and not judge them for having tattoos or red hair or or multiple piercings. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care about any of that. And so I think at the end of the day, that's what's important is people understanding and the church to understand. We just need to be honest. Tell your testimony. You was a hooker. Jesus saved you. Like tell the truth. You was a drug dealer and he saved you. 
Come on. Like, while we playing these games, we read about it in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Why act like, why we, everybody act like they was a virgin before they was married. Stop. No, why that? Why play this game with people? I tell people all the time, I met my husband in a dress that was tighter than a rubber band. Come on here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> but it's just the honesty. And, and millennials want someone who's going to be honest enough with them and not judge them. Right. That a force God on them, love God in them. And that is what it's about. And for, for, for us at Purpose Church, it's really just being real and raw. Like one day, I'll never forget, it shocked me. We was given, you know, we don't call it testimony time. We call it shout out. Mm-hmm. Give it a shout out, whatever. And this girl was like, old woman, she was like, I just want, but we make it this comfortable. I just want to give God praise because like, you know, 99 beers on the wall. And I was like, wait, what? She was like, I was at a party, but I ain't drink no Hennessy. So I'm just real happy that God kept me from drinking Hennessy. And when I say the church fell out, the church fell out because we were not ready. I wasn't ready. But we make people feel that comfortable that they can literally talk about that. Mm-hmm. I've had people throw cigarettes on the altar. I've had young boys say, I'm going to stop doing pornography, Pastor Jen. I'm struggling with pornos. I need help. So it takes that. but. You have to make someone feel comfortable enough. And the only way that can happen as a pastor, as leader, is when I myself am transparent about my transgression. And that is where I feel like the growth can happen. And that's what millennials need is someone to be honest about their transgressions. Because growing up in church, you ain't you ain't here. You ain't here about mother so-and-so. Mother so-and-so ain't never got her evil on. She was at the red light party. That's what they called it. <laughs> it was a red light. Absolutely. So it's, it's just being honest. And me and my husband, we honest. Maybe sometimes to a fault, I don't care. But if my if me being honest about my story, the things that I've done, if that's going to draw you to Christ, girl, I had a problem getting my eagle on. But if that's what's going to bring you, I'm okay with it. And that's what the church needs. Absolutely. And I think when we ignore that piece, we tend to idolize and, and put people on this pedestal that it's impossible for them to stay on. Then you have an issue of like the falls from grace. Now, some of them are legitimate fall from grace. So it's like, you don't need to be leading anybody. Um, but people have positioned themselves as like above reproach and, you know, like they make zero mistakes. So when things come out, even minor critical errors in, in terms of like um, how the, the, the business of churches being managed or misappropriation of funds that you had an appropriate conversation. Everybody's like, how, you know, houseway. Um, but if we, we could have more honesty about the fact that we're all walking in grace every single day. And I do believe that if you are shepherding, yeah, there's a certain moral code you need to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to be honest about where we've come from. Right. And every day we're working and striving to be better. I think that positions what it means to be in relationship because I'm over religion, have been for a long time, but what it means to be in a relationship, that that offers a different definition of that for sure. Um, and something that is is so, so needed. And I, and I think sometimes churches become more political yeah. than it has about helping people heal um, and grow and grow in ways that are not just spiritual, but speaking to um, the other pieces too, that financial growth and getting emotionally healthy and, and all of those things. Um, but clearly you have a story and a story that's multifaceted. Uh, but tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. I was thinking about this question. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. When I had to be, say it again. Tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. 
extraordinary. Ooh, can I say this, love? I'm transparent. Go for it. So I was dealing with my husband's baby's mother. Ooh, I feel like I need some tea for this. Go ahead. <laughs> As a recent. And something that happened and uh, she had came, dropped off uh, our steps, my stepson. And I went downstairs. I mean, my my water was bubbling hot, past it and all. In my mind, she was snatched, past it and all. In my mind, that's my mind. That's that before, that's that, like, I know Jesus, but we ain't got no relationship. In my mind, she was snatched. And so my water was boiling because my husband had said some things to me that she had said. And so... I went downstairs to greet them and I told them, can I have a word with you for a moment? Now, mind you, we outside on my porch at that. And I'm just, I'm just really explaining to her my feelings, my thoughts on things. And she kept trying to bring the conversation left. Mm. And I said, listen, you, you keep trying to bring this conversation left. I said, I'm trying to stay right. But if you want to go left, we can go. But I'm not trying to do that. Long story short, I ended up going from zero to 100, from 100 to 50, back to 100 back down to zero. And I told this person whom I honestly didn't like. The Lord's still working with me in some areas. Um, And I made a decision in that moment. I said, you know, God is doing too much in my life to allow, for me to allow this person this much space. Mm -hmm. And I told that person, I said, listen, I am making a decision, like in this moment talking to you, that I'm not going to hold your transgressions against you anymore. Anything that you've done to me, I said this is it. Anything that you've done or said to me, I said, I'm no longer going to hold that against you anymore. That took, that was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, coming down the stairs, answer the door, I thought it was going to be in a different direction. Passenger might have been in the paper. I don't know. But that took a lot of self-growth in the moment to say, you know what? I'm not going to give you any more of me in this way because it's not about me anymore. And God is blessing me and I just can't allow you. So that took a lot. It was an ordinary, hot, 100 degree day. You went there. You went there with that extraordinary or an ordinary day. But let me tell you why I appreciate it because it tracks back to the conversation about this knight in shining armor, like vision that women have, that we have, that we want. And sometimes it's messy and complicated and there are things that have to be dealt with. Um, and there are things that happened before you came in the picture, but affect you and, and your family. And those emotions are real and you've got to figure out how to process them. And all that may not happen overnight. It takes time and there's, there may be conflict. And I think it's important, you know, I, I appreciate when married women are honest about that, right? Because so many people are like, have the Instagram version of their relationship which leaves people expecting that or wanting that. And it's like, I got all this drama and baggage. We're trying to figure out how to get into the trunk before we get on the road. And I don't really know how to deal with this, right? Um, So I think it's important to be honest about the messy parts that people don't want to discuss and blended families. And the older you are when you get married, the the more likely it is. It's going to be blended. And you know what I will tell you? Let me tell you something. What I was talking earlier about deal breakers. One of my deal breakers was I wasn't going to marry a man with children. Mm. It was one of my deal breakers. And I said, no, ain't going to happen. Yep, that's what I did. (laughs) Um, So because, watch this, I recognized that the deal breaker wasn't as important anymore 
because of all of the potential I saw in us. Mm-hmm. So I was willing to jump into the fiery furnace, even, whew, even though I knew it was going to get hot some days because the potential was too great. And that's what I'm saying about women with these deal breakers. It, 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 you might start off saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I was guilty, but I did what I said I wasn't going to do. And I'm so glad I did. Mm-hmm. He's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. But I had to allow myself the space to say, you know what, Jen, that deal breaker is really not that bad. Mm-hmm. And yes, it does get muddy and ugly some days and some days it's challenging. And I've had to being transparent with you in a blended family. I've had to overcome insecurities. I've had to overcome, you know, just, just a lot of different things as a woman in this. Um, just, just that it takes a constant growth mm-hmm. and a constant, constant acceptance of, you know what? We all made mistakes. We all did something, but this isn't like he has wonderful child, right? So there's a blessing that came from that. But if I would have said no, I mean, I would have just missed out on so much. Right. And I just think when we think about our deal breakers as women, we got to say, you know what? It might be hard. I'm not going to lie to you, but it also might be really worth it. And mm-hmm. it really, really might. That's a good word. Uh, so before I let you get out of here, I want to talk about the Performing Arts Center oh, that, you're, that you're working on. Tell me about that. Ooh, okay. So (laughs) we had a vision at Purpose Church of building something called the PAC, the Performing Arts Center. And it all became an idea out of reimagining what church looked like. Mm -hmm. Because I think we were just like, you know, church is just so structured and what it is. And we just wanted to do so much more in the community. And we want to have art classes and dance classes and all the different things. And we have so many people who are talented. And where we are in Jersey City, there's there's not really enough places for people that look like us to showcase their talent and showcase that stuff. So we started on this journey. And so we have a CDC called In Purpose, On Purpose Community Development Corporation that focuses on that. And so, I mean, we were moving full steam ahead prior to COVID. Then COVID came. So that kind of put everything kind of at a pause. Um, But our goal still is to reimagine what church looks like Mm -hmm. and the church to be a place that has worship services, but the building throughout the week, you can go do, you can learn how to build apps, right? You can learn dance, you can learn music. Um, We're all about not STEM, but STEAM, right? Science, technology, engineering, arts, right? Um, And mathematics and building that up in our community because our young people, specifically um, in urban communities, they need an outlet. Um, and so we want to be that outlet for them so that it's no longer just a church, but it's more of a community that is helping reach every single part of you and build you up. Um, we were even planning to have adult computer classes. I mean, just so many different things. Um, and we're still on that way, but that's the goal. And that's the focus is to have a place where the arts can be shown and you can learn different and amazing things that also happen to be the place we're churches. That's good. Yeah, Rona's jacked a lot of things up. <laughs> but, you know, 2020 is like off the rails in a lot of ways. Um, but also I think there's purpose in this year as well. I'm watching a lot of people recalibrate, um, find new visions, revive other visions. And it's given people, I think, despite all the calamity that's happening around us, a moment to be still in some ways uh, and think about what they really want, you know, out of life. 
So what does Pastor Jen want, you know, five years from now? What's the vision for you and the church and your family? Well, you know, that question was different. That that answer would have been different last year. Mm -hmm. I think COVID has really shown me um, that I that we really needed to rethink even the more what church looks like. And so I think for us, we're really just trying to build a stronger digital platform mm-hmm. and really have a stronger digital presence. And so we're working on that right now, actually, with the team to really um, have a digital church, um, because I do not believe even when COVID is over that everyone's going to run the church. I think that we would have developed habits. So just like this whole notion that all of a sudden people are like, ooh, I'm getting up first Sunday. I'm going to church. No, people still going to roll over mm-hmm. the Zoom button. And so I think for us, it's it's building a digital platform that that can give you that personal feel and relationship without you being physically in the room with us is what we're really trying to work hard on because everybody else is on Facebook just and you're just watching them. And that's it. And for me, I'm all about the personal experience. Mm-hmm. I'm all about touching you and getting to know you and hearing your stories. And so we're just rethinking how do we get everyone to feel that way without being in the same room. And I think as far as, um, girl, there's so much going on. I think I would love to have a she's bad. So uh, she's bad is uh, bad meaning becoming a disciple. It's a woman's ministry that I have. And so we have a conference in New Jersey and we have one in Atlanta every year. And so we've been doing that and growing that. So I still like that to continue to grow. And other than that, I really just want to uh, launch out internationally because I think there's more people that I need to reach and I need to help um, internationally. So that's another goal of mine. And I'm just excited to see what God does. And, you know, and I want us to be the dopest Fastest growing church in New Jersey love is my goal. Love it. So where can people find you online? You can find me at jumpintopurpose.org or jenwaterman with two T's.com. And I'm all there. You can holler at me on Facebook at Jen Waterman Moore. And I'm, let me tell you, everyone who's listening and I'm that kind of person, you could just reach out to me. I'll answer. Mm-hmm. You have a question, girl, what do you think about this? I'll get to you. I'll answer it. Yeah. I had a feeling this conversation was going to be turned. I didn't know it was going to be this turn. <laughs> oh, I thoroughly enjoyed this. And there's always a different vibe when I have women on the show, which is why we got to get more on here because we just relate, obviously, on a different level. Um, I love my brothers that come on, fellas, but it's always a treat for me. Uh, we have a, a woman who's come, come on. So I, I appreciate this conversation. I'm excited for people to hear it. Um, I'm excited for my girlfriends to hear it. <laughs> because we've been having a lot of conversations in the last few weeks and um i think they will appreciate uh some of the nuggets that were were dropped here so um and and tell us more when this conference pops off uh, make sure you you let us know so we can help to pub that and i'll I'll definitely be in the building absolutely you might be in the building never know as a speaker look out for it never know listen you know i get down on the mic as well for sure (laughs) so to our listeners Thank you for rocking with us through these technological changes we've had to make as we've, we adjust as the rest of the world to COVID. If you enjoyed this episode, like, share, subscribe, tell somebody, tell your sisters for sure. Um, if you want to reach out to Jen and follow what she's doing, make sure you find her online. Check out her book. All you overachievers who are doing too much, go purchase her book for sure. Reach out on her website. All the information is there. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Tovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.